0: You're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast, brought to you by DraftKings. Great deal going on right now. You sign up and guess what? Uh, uh, put down one dollar on an NFL game, even Matt's Kansas City Chiefs. And you know what? You if you score, uh, if either team scores, you get a hundred dollars in free plays. Mr. Matt Mulebach, how you doing, my man? What's up, Mike? What's happening? Not not, not too much. Still uh, just h- hanging in there, living the life. So. Yeah, let's get down to it. Watching this Arizona team, and we talked about it a little bit before when you were on a couple weeks ago. This feels so much like watching a. This feels like the old days watching Lutz team. I'm not saying that this is going to be Lutz teams, but the way that they are hitting teams and they are and they're blowing the teams out that they should. Like, or let's use Oregon State for example. In the past, I mean, not in the past, but like this. This wasn't going to be a 65-58 game. You could tell even though Arizona didn't start out fast that, all right, by the end of the game, this team is going to be pummeled. And that's exactly what happened.
1: Yeah, I remember doing a game early on and I was thinking, I was thinking about, you know, comparing them to like the old, you know, kind of loot teams and those teams that were just that swagger and running up and down. And like, I was hesitating because I felt like almost like sacrilege, you know, to do it. Um, But no, they're, they're playing with, like ridiculous pace. Um, I mean, the the thing that stands out to me is, I mean, number one, to have a a really good team, you got to have a great roster, which they do. You know, they've Mm -hmm. got a great roster, like one through like 10. Um, You've got to have a great coach. Um, And I think, I think, I think Tommy's been just amazing, you know, the first, first year. I mean, I just, it's hard to explain how, how like, he's just seems to have the right, you know, cadence and, and feel so far. Um, I mean, he's he's gonna lose a game here at some point, but it's let assume. Yeah, it's just he's been terrific. But the, the two things that stand out with those after I say those two things that you gotta have to have a great team is they have they have elite length and height. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you look at the kin palm numbers, they're, they're they go back and forth the number one or two in terms of the tallest teams in the entire country, and so with that height comes the length and with that length comes, you know, incredible rim protection and defense and steals and, you know, all those type of things. And so that's what, that's what to me, you know, part of the reason people talk about, you know, how, how great their offense is and they get out and run. Well, a lot of that is their defense, you know, leading to offense and easy buckets. And, and then I guess the other thing I'd say is, you know, just sort of the, the magic intangible, tangible, if you will, is the chemistry and mm-hmm. um, you know, so far so good. And, you know, it's easy to say that when you're winning, of course. Um, right. You know, it's 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 one thing to say it in the middle of you know February or January when you lose a couple games. So we'll see. But all accounts, you know, those. It, it's funny because coaches all like I mean, the culture and chemistry and all those things they work on it nonstop, 24 hours a day. But it, it's, it, part of it is like almost like just magic, like it it happens or it doesn't. Right. At at the most elite elite levels. And so far, like I said, I'm not. I'm not saying this is, you know, the the 1980 hockey team or anything yet. But it's just,
0: you know, they, they have they have really good chemistry, which is a great sign. Okay, we got a ton of comments to get to from uh, all the people on YouTube right now, Matt. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions though before we get to that. And I watch a, I'm I'm a, I'm a geek. Um, I watch a lot of college basketball. I watch a lot of UVA of basketball. The one thing though, watching around the nation. Watching Gonzaga, watching Duke, and again, I need to be careful how I preface this. Every team that I've seen out there, I don't think that Arizona, I'm not saying Arizona would beat them. That's not what I'm saying. But Arizona, from a talent-length perspective, I don't know would go into any game at a severe disadvantage against any team in the country, which is just crazy to say for a coach in his first year at a Power 5 program.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> any program, right? I mean, it's just it's it is crazy to say, but I agree with you. I mean, I, I look at you know the matchups, you know um, they can go toe to toe with anybody, and mm-hmm. I think you saw it with Michigan, just how they played, right? Um, you know, just their physical, you know, the way they were physical played, uh, and I, actually the game that I thought that really showed it was Wichita State because there there is not probably a team that plays harder and more physical than, than a team like Wichita state, they play so hard. And I was, I was interested to see how Arizona would match up that, especially early on um, in the season without, you know, and without a ton of experience. And that was the one thing I was going to say about Arizona, you know, the crazy thing so far is um, I mean, number one, they don't have a ton of experience. So right. they're playing like this experienced team. Now we may talk about this in a minute. They'll go on the road here a couple of times coming up right. in the next two weeks and, you know, that'll give them the experience they haven't really been battle tested yet as a group you know as a, as a whole unit um and then the other thing is they haven't shot it that well like for them I, I think they can shoot it much better um, they're kind of you know around 33 percent on threes and um, I mean let's I mean if they start making threes and have a game where they hit you know 12 13 threes I mean good Lord they're gonna they're gonna be tough to beat
0: yeah and to me that's something too that you look at two of the guys that haven't shot well I look at you. Look at Kerr, Chrisa. You look at Pella Larson, and at least from my perspective, Matt, I think these are two guys that I don't really, I don't worry about it yet because both yeah. of their forms, especially Kerr, his yeah. form is pure. His confidence is there. It wouldn't surprise me at all if we have a game where in a month we're talking about man, Kerr just went seven of eleven from three or something to that effect. Right. So, you know, I know a lot of people are nitpicking on that, but right now I'm not worried about it because the form, the process still looks pure for both those guys in my regard.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, and Pella real quick. I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but I think last year he was like third in the conference in three point percentage. So 44%. He, yeah. Yeah. He, or whatever it was, you know, top five or something. He, he has history to tell you he's going to be able to do it and Kurum with you, his, his rhythm, his, his, um, the way he shoots it, you watch him in practice. Um, and, and three point shooting is a little bit like a baseball player. I mean, you go through, you know, periods where you're going to go, you know, you know, two for 18, but then you're going to go through periods where you go, you know, 10 for 16. And right. so I think you're, like you said, I think that's probably going to happen with him. The thing that's, I don't know if I'd say shocking, but definitely surprising with him is is what his assist to turnover ratio numbers are. I mean, I I didn't see that coming from him that solid with the ball so far and um and 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 just his 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 energy and you know wanting wanting to give the ball up. And so I've been really impressed with him as a point guard so far. And, you know, he was, you know, in some respects, you know, from a talent standpoint, you know, the guy that you wouldn't really you that was that wasn't the first guy people were thinking of this year you know you're thinking of Tubelas and and Matherin and Coloco now and but but Chris has been really really impressive
0: okay the cool thing about here is we get a bunch of comments and we try to get as much listener interaction as possible and Nick and Sean have a, some really good questions for Matt we're also going to do cuz no Matt's time is precious but a little bit of a get to know Matt Mulebach before we hop <laughs> off here but uh, first first question here is from Sean Seely and he says Matt, can you elaborate a little on why coach Olson's practices were so intense? What was a coach Olson practice like for you, Matt?
1: They were brutal in the beginning of the season. And and I, I guess the answer why, um, because Coach Olson at his heart was a competitor. He he was a he was a I mean, he was as, as much of a competitor as I've ever seen in terms of a coach. Um, and his will to win was was off the charts. And so because of that, you know, he pushed us, um, to, to, to levels that I just, I, I remember Kevin O'Neill, our, our boy KO our guy. uh, We actually texted pictures of KO to each other last night. How (laughs) cool is that? That's right. Well, I I remember KO telling me in high school, I probably told you this story a couple of times, but telling me, Hey, wait till you get to college and you'll see how hard it is that you play. And, and when I got to U of A practices, you know, it was stunning to me. Um, how hard those practices were, how the competitive nature of them. And Luke put us in positions that were competitive all the time. People ask me sometimes, like, what are some of the drills? There was a drill we ran that was like the biggest gut check of anything. We would all line up on the baseline and we would we would go one on one full court. Like that was the hardest thing. And the whole team's watching. Luke is watching. You know, I mean, he's directing the drill. And so I, let's say I pick up, you know, Kenny Lofton. And so now mm-hmm. how am I going to guard Kenny Lofton full court? Oh, like, come on, Matt. Come Don't on. underestimate yourself on, right here. So I pick up Kenny. He goes he goes that way on offense. I've got to, you know, guard him full court. And the key was to try to turn people, but it wasn't a whole lot of turning Kenny Lofton. But then at, at, you go to the other end, score or not, I get the ball. Now I go back the other way. And it was like players clapping on the baseline, loop, you know, Sweating and getting all intense, and he wanted guys taking charges
0: and going at it, and just it was it was it was pretty awesome. All right, well, you know what else is pretty awesome is the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Here's the deal: you throw on, get on code word PHNX, throw down one dollar for a new customer, and guess what? If you bet on an NFL game and either team scores, a team will score. You get a hundred dollars in free plays. If I can do it, Matt mulebach could possibly do it. Anybody could do it. It's that simple. Eligibility restrictions do apply. Uh, 21 and up Arizona only gambling issue call 1-800-NEXT-STEP they'll get you taken care of there I will say Matt uh, when I do uh, look at the NFL and I think about the DraftKings Sportsbook app I do think about your Kansas City Chiefs and the fact that now you guys are a defensive juggernaut instead of an offensive juggernaut (laughs) what's going on there I you know I
1: don't know they changed identities how how many teams change identities in the NFL mid-season
0: Never seen it, but
1: it works you for you
0: care. or it works for them. So might as well. That's okay. Right. Matt, all right, Matt. Couple questions here. And uh, Nick Howard, and before we and then we're gonna get to a comparison and I wanted to kind of throw off you. Nick Howard says, This is a good one. I can't believe I've never asked you this. Who was the best college player you played against?
1: Well, um, I guess two guys. So the, the first one is is probably not a great answer, but in the sense that it was Sean Elliott. Like mm-hmm. guarding him in practice was the best. Best player I ever played against. I had to guard him a few times. It was it was just ridiculous. His length and quickness and strength. Even though he wasn't, a, you know, he wasn't. He was kind of skinny, but he was so strong. Mm-hmm. But the best player I ever played against, not on Arizona, I would have to say Gary Payton. Um wow. that was, yeah, that was probably number one. Um, he was he was actually a lot like Sean in his strength. He wasn't super, you know, thick or huge, but his strength was ridiculous. His length was ridiculous. And I, I the hardest thing for him. Was not was not um, me guarding him as much as him guarding me. Like it it, it was not easy. So I
0: would go with GP. It always cracks it always cracks me up because in the post like Cinder Cinder era, if you're you know every now and then I'll get somebody that uh, will ask me and they'll say who's the best uh, Pac-10 Pac-12 basketball player post John Wooden, and to me the answer is easy. It's it's Sean Elliott because National Player of the Year, you lead. Leave as the all-time uh, conference scoring leader. And I get that after that, you know, Don McClain beat it. And, and there's no disrespect to Don McClain. He was a great player. Sean, I think, was just a little bit different. Um, yeah. Gary Gary Payton, though, is right on those heels, though, when you yeah. just look at it from a statistical and from an honor perspective there, Matt.
1: Well, when you look at, when you look at the history of not just college but NBA guards, the, the best NBA guards, point guards, if you, mm-hmm. if you rule it out there, or or narrow it to that. I mean, you know, he's in the conversation. He's definitely top ten, and he's in the. He's conversation one of the top ten easy top, point guards top five. ever. Five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, obviously you got Magic and and uh, and 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 guys. And Steph, like, Isaiah, guys like
0: that. Isaiah, Jason Kidd, but he's right there. Um, he's well, right after that. Did Did you ever think? And you know, I'm going a little off cuff here. In the last, did you ever think about getting into coaching? I did. I did a few times.
1: Um, I actually, believe it or not, K.O. was one of the guys I talked to a little bit about it. And mm-hmm. just for me, um, it just never was the timing was never right or the situation was never right. Um, and I you know, I definitely did. But it's it just like I said, it just it just never really like like came to be so.
0: Right. Nick Howard has a quick question and we'll get back to hoop. He says, I heard Matt went to law school after his playing days. Does he have any advice for someone wanting to get into law school? (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah. Play in Arizona, have Luke walk over and say, Hey, can we get Matt in? No, just, um, I I, I think, uh, I think you got to go to class, man. I just, I just learned right away when I went, when I went to college, like if you go to class, you can get pretty good grades. Yeah. Um, so I was, we were, we were lucky too. My first year we had, we had tutors. We were mandatory tutors from the basketball team. So tutors to me were awesome. They would, they would, you know, make me study. They kept me accountable. And then my grades started dipping as the later I got in my college years.
0: Right. Yeah. I I was the same way. I always, you know, I got a 4.0 pretty much across the board mainly because I just went to class and here's it here. And again, I'm not I'm not a lawyer. I don't have Matt's background. But my only advice is this. Teachers generally don't want to flunk somebody that doesn't try hard. It's just right. generally not in their nature. Um, Matt, all right. Moving back to this team. And I remember I messaged you after I think it was the second game of the season. And I said, I know it's early. I said, but this team feels like a top 25 team. And you responded back and you said, yeah, they're legit. If anything, though, I was wrong on that because this uh, the more you watch this team, and again, you know it's early, seven games in, this feels like a team that's on a different level. And one of the reasons why is because a guy like a Benedict Mathering. Now, it's always kind of bothered me because I knew he reminded me of somebody a little bit. And again, this isn't a perfect comparison. But the way that he can shoot, the way that he's kind of got the one dribble drive, and the way that he's built reminds me quite a bit of Michael Dickerson, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, you texted me that, or I think, or you mentioned that to me. It's an it's an awesome comparison. It's like, to some degree, um, Michael Dickerson is one of those forgotten guys. Yeah, I I forget about him all the time. Like it was, it was easy for me to try to make a comparison. Like, hey, Daylon Terry eventually wants to become Andre Iguodala. You know, like the length, the defense. You know, the 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 IQ. But I totally forgot about it till you said it, and I, I think it's an awesome comparison. Um, I actually think at this stage, you know, Matherin is a better shooter, which is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Michael was right. a great shooter. Um, you know, I remember I knew a guy that was a coach for the Rockets where where Dickerson was drafted. Oh. And he, I, I talked to him the first, like, three weeks of training camp, and I said, how's Dickerson playing? He said, I got to tell you, he's the fastest player from baseline to baseline we've ever had in the Houston Rockets basketball uh, training camp in the history of the team. And everybody agreed on it. And, um, and that's kind of Matherin that, that's the speed and the explosiveness and talking to a buddy here in my office today, actually, we were, we were saying, have you ever seen a player in in a game that I'm talking about the Oregon state game with Matherin have three dunks that all three of them were potentially worthy of like dunk of the year, you know, like, not just one, I mean, the behind the back, the one in the middle, the alley-oop, it, it, they were all, you could put all three of them and say, okay, these are all candidates for dunk of the year. And it, that's, and that was Dickerson too, right? He had that amazing explosiveness is what came to mind.
0: It, it's funny. I was going up with a list of my, kind of my top five players at each position, kind of from the loot Olsen era on. And again, that's because I'm a dork. And you know, it's weird. I had Sean, I had Sean at number one, obviously in the small forward I had uh chris mills at t- uh, actually i had matt at 2 i'm just kidding i had <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. i had chris mills at two and then i'm thinking around i'm like i had michael d i had mike d at three i mean yeah. he was he was that kind of cat so you know it's a yeah. you know it's a it's it's a compliment at the highest level i'm not saying that he'll reach that but there's there's some right. there's some abilities right there you, you know
1: what's crazy is is i've said this before on the air is, you know, Arizona is known as point guard U, right? Or especially mm-hmm. when the 90s was known as that because just for the string of whatever it was, 15 years it had these amazing point guards. But uh, when I look through it, it's it's kind of in some ways small forward U. Yeah. And you start with Sean and you just mentioned it, but you go, you know, Sean and Mills and Dickerson and R.J. and,
0: you know, Iguodala. And you just kind of go on and on and on. It never stops. It, and I think that's what's so amazing about it. And, you know, even at some of the other positions, too, think about it. Think about it just at the shooting guard position. You know, we don't even really talk about that. Khalid Reeves and uh, Gilbert Arenas were the two most natural scorers I've ever seen here. Yeah. Especially Khalid's a guy, too, that, in my opinion, he's probably the best shooting guard in school history. Um, yeah. Just, you know, he a lot of pe- I, he was a little bit before his time, in a way. In that I think if he had come around 15 years later, I think he might've had a different type of NBA career, but, yeah. but you just so many guys, Salim Stoudemire. I mean, Arizona fans have really had an abundance of riches when you think about it. And so much of it was just condensed into about a 15 year period where at least people like myself growing up, I just thought that's the way it was. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you realize after a while, that's not really the case. Yeah. Um, so let's get to a couple questions before we let you go, Matt. I got a, uh, let's see here. We got um, Travis Stouse just asked. He said, what ordered would you currently put Arizona, UCLA, and USC, Matt? That's a good question.
1: Um, I think I think I would have to say, I, I, you got to put UCLA first just because they've earned it. And and you got to knock them off before anybody says they're better than them. I, I think USC and, and Arizona can play toe-to-toe with them. But I put them one. I'd put Arizona, too. I mean, it, just their mm. wins have been so impressive. I'm not taking anything away from SC, by the way. They're, they're right. really good. But I'd, I'd put uh, UCLA, Arizona, USC, one, two, three.
0: Okay, and Sean Seely said, and this is kind of a, a question, too, that um, I'm going to – he says, who did you hate playing against the most, and why was it UCLA? <laughs> <laughs> um, just real quick, and I'll let Matt have the floor here. You know what's crazy about – I always – UCLA was the only team to me during the Lute Olson era where there was ever a window from, and I generally consider kind of the vintage Lute from about 88 to 03. That's kind of my 15 year window right there. Yeah. There was only the, only the real time Matt where I, where it felt like there was about a three, maybe two to three year window where another team had more talent. Mm-hmm. It, it was when kind of that mid nineties UCLA where you had Ed O'Bannon, Charles and Tyus Edney, uh, right. Toby Bailey, Jelani McCoy across the board. Um, that was really the only time that I felt that, you know what, Arizona's going into this with maybe a little bit of a talent uh, disparity. But what was crazy about it, Matt, is that Arizona in that time frame went to a final four in 94 and won a national championship. (laughs) So UCLA to me, that was always the one for you. And you obviously were there. uh, Jim Herrick was there at the beginning. What, you know, what, uh, what, what was that team? And was that team UCLA?
1: Well, I did a podcast actually with Don McLean a couple of years ago. And we talked a lot about, you know, what that era was like. And I I always laugh. Well, it's not that funny, but in, in 91, when I was a senior. And then I think in 92, like there were probably in the starting lineup. And I think in 91, my senior year, every single person played in the NBA, except me, 10 guys, not, not our lineup, just, you know, UCLA and Arizona. Right. So nine out of 10 played in the NBA. I think the following year, 10 out of 10 played in the NBA. When you think about that, that's, yeah, it's not even, it's hard to even get your, your, your mind around it, but I mean, yeah, to your to your to the question's point. Yeah, I hated UCLA, but I loved it. Like that was those were the two best games of the year. You know, as a kid, like the the magic of poly, you know, going into poly pavilion. I always said this like no one else just hangs national title banners. Like I laugh, you go into people's, you know, gyms and they have, oh, we, you know, we won the conference tournament or we won this or that. They literally just hang national championship banners. I mean, that's that's what it's like. And just being there in that arena, you know, I remember seeing John Wooden, you know, when I was playing, you know, talking to Luke before games, um, you know, the connection to that history and so forth. And, you know, like, I'm really good friends with him now, but Don McClain, like, you know, McClain oh, yeah. was, he was famous. One time he threw the ball at Brian Williams when he, when he took a charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he, he pulled the old, he went down to pull Judd Bushler up, you know, when he fell in the oh, meant, Yeah, yeah, yeah pulled that thing and don was he was the worst but he was the best you know and i always give don credit i think don had the year after i graduated they broke the streak you know mm-hmm. in kale derrick martin that was the greatest game ever by an opponent um of arizona
0: and mikhail center i think it was the greatest all time and the great thing about don mcclain too and i always tell people this he had a little bit of that west coast uh christian leitner vibe he that did. He did. That's a great. That's a great analogy there. Yeah, he, he, you feel free to steal thing. it next time you talk to him. He, uh, yeah. but it, he was so good, it didn't feel like it could should quite work the way it did, and he also let you know about it too, which oh, was yeah. just awesome. He amazing. was
1: he was really if you think about it, he didn't shoot a lot of threes or very many at all. I don't recall, but he was really kind of the the earliest or one of the best stretch fours. Oh, um, and he could score every way. But he would come off those screens coming from down low and shoot the 17 footer and he was a, he was an amazing free throw shooter. He got fouled a ton. but he was that stretch four that now, you know, just think of how good Don McLean
0: would be in today's game. Oh, he he would at the very minimum, he would carve out a 15 year career uh, yeah. scoring 14 points a game just standing in the corner. <laughs> I mean, because he would just expand his range. And then, all right, Matt, uh, one last thing. What's really exciting, though, to me as well is that it seems that – and I always tell – or this isn't a secret. It's kind of like with USC football in the Pac-12 or Pac-10, Pac-12, that if you – USC, in order to really get the eyeballs of the East Coast, USC needs to matter. And it's the same way for me with UCLA and Arizona basketball. And I look at what Tommy Lloyd's doing right now – And I look at what Mick Cronin's doing. And this to me seems to be the most stable going forward that you could have had two programs since maybe, you know, or you could argue, argue maybe the mid nineties. I mean, just, you know, extrapolating out 10, 12 years, something like that.
1: That's a great observation. And when I have studio next time in San Francisco, I'm totally stealing that. And I'm using that like I just came up with it, but you're totally right. And, and you know what, what a lot of people like in Tucson, I, I, I get to see it, you know, I see it like when I do games in other places, but especially see it like around East coast people, the the brand of Arizona is, is really incredible. And, and you, and obviously UCLA, I'm not like UCLA is even, you know, that's, that's another level. Um, but just the brand of the two teams together, um, you know, like you mentioned when we played like every one of those late 80, early nineties game, everyone was on it. You know, primetime right. ABC yes, whatever it was. It was primetime games. And, and, you know, and then the teams have gone over the years, kind of, you know, traded places. And then you've had Stanford, Oregon had their, have, has had their time over different periods. But yeah, when those teams are playing well, the East Coast recognizes it. And going back to what you were saying about the teams, like the sheer talent level over
0: the last 30 years and what the two teams have produced is just unmatched on the West Coast. And it was impossible to get kids out of LA in that time period. I always joke because people talk about, well, you know, when you Arizona would get the leftovers like Miles Simon and Reggie <laughs> Geary and players to yeah, but you know, right. and, I mean, everybody up and down there was the Mike, there was the Mike Bibby or the Michael Dickerson sprinkled in, obviously, but right. you know, you just look at you had Baron Davis, you, again, Toby right. Bailey, J.R. Henderson, just Marcus Johnson's, uh, Chris Johnson's kid. Everybody was from the L.A. metro or Orange County area.
1: Well, and that that was what was so cool was um, a lot of the guys on Arizona were being recruited by both. Um, You know, I remember Derek Martin. Derek Martin went on his Mm -hmm. visit one Saturday to UCLA. The next Saturday he was in Arizona. Right. All those a lot of those guys were having both visits. They were L.A. kids. Um, And then what was cool is, you know, as you know, like a ton of students at U of A are from Southern California. So mm-hmm. you had this sort of built-in rivalry of, okay, I decided to go to Arizona or to zona or whatever. I mean, I didn't go to UCLA or USC. And now there's this awesome rivalry between people that you know, are from the same area.
0: Right. Matt, I can't thank you enough for coming on. My man, as always, we'll catch back up with you in a couple of weeks, but uh, feel free to steal all that stuff from me. Just <laughs> let me know when you're saying it so I can watch. I will, Mike. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. He's Matt Muehlbach. I'm Mike Luke. Thanks for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.